Transferring wealth successfully starts with asking yourself questions that will give your family a better life now and for generations to come. In this podcast, financial professionals John and Michael from Copper Beach Financial Group guide you through eye-opening questions to help you discover the truth about your wealth. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to The Truth About Wealth with John and Michael Paris of Copper Beach Financial Group. Michael, how are you doing this morning? Oh, I'm good, Eric. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, John. I know that you are here as well and we're going to have a great discussion. How you been? I'm doing great. I've been fine. Just uh, getting excited about the warmer weather coming, so we're uh, already got the beach in line. <laughs> yeah, right. Putting the Hopefully, beach in Copper so. Beach. All right. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that's good. Spelled differently. We do Spelled get differently. from, yeah, so the beach like the tree, in case anybody's wondering. That's right. No, it's it's beach like the tree, and there's a yep. whole story behind that, and I know that you guys spoke about that on a previous podcast, probably one of the first ones that we did together, yeah. so people can go back and listen to that and hear about the origin story, but today we're talking about uh, something different. I think it's asset allocation, and is it reallocation or rebalancing? What are we talking about? Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. When you sit with clients through these 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 terrible times that people are mm-hmm. are are involved with right now, with inflation being high and uncertainty in the markets and global issues, we always get the question: Okay, I've got this portfolio. What do I do with it? Is there should I reallocate? Should I do something different in, in this environment? And it's and it's a good conversation to have. And I thought today might be a good time to discuss, um, you know, my opinions, our opinions here at Copper Beach, how we think folks should approach their investment portfolios and what they should or should not be concerned about, and just talk about asset classes in general. A, a little lighter today, but I think it's good to go back to basics on asset classes and what they do and what they don't do and and what you expect from them. So I thought that'd be a good topic for today. All right. So let, let's let's start with asset classes, because I, I think that that's where people get yep. a little bit confused. They do. Let's talk about, and I refer to a term I used years ago, it's called the dominant benefit of asset classes. And, and very simply what that is, every asset class has a perceived dominant benefit. It does something. It does something for your portfolio. So if you if you relate to a CD as an example, most people know what CDs are. Not very popular certificate today. Of deposits. Not the, yep. Not the music uh, CD. <laughs> Thanks, Michael. Appreciate yeah. that. For those that remember, I those. See how, how much I need him. See, he but, just gets. Tony Gen Two has it down. They, they know what's does. going on. <laughs> so CDs are treasuries, basically, and and when you look at what what they what they do is I refer to as safety of principle. So you give your ten thousand dollars to your local bank. They give you a certain interest rate based on that deposit. It's tied up for one year, three year, five, depending on the structure of your CD. And you get an interest rate according to that particular time frame. Right now, I don't know where rates are today, but they're extremely low. So, But you can't lose your assets. The bank mm-hmm. insures them. Uh, you're guaranteed not to lose your money in, in that type of strategy. So people have a tendency to say, I want to be safe, and that's where I want to put my money, and they park it in their either CDs or their savings accounts. But as you can imagine, in today's inflation rate, they're not a real popular place to go, but there's trillions of dollars sitting in banks in these vehicles, and they're going backwards based on inflation from from a valuation standpoint. Mm-hmm. But remember, the dominant benefit is they're safe. You can't lose your money. And, and the interest is taxable on those. Typically interest is taxable, as well, correct. So. 
that much. So, so in the past, if you go back to the 70s and 80s, interest rates were higher, and we, we could talk about, about that in a minute. So they, they, they were really attractive rates in CDs, but what people didn't realize back then, when you're getting 15% in your CD, what was inflation, Eric? It's probably about 16 to 17. Oh, wow. So what the Fed did, they, they mirror the inflation rate to the interest rate. They were able to do that back then. But it was a false security because inflation was still hammering that particular uh, strategy. But that's what it does. It's not designed to grow. It's not designed to produce an income. It's a safety or principal asset. So that's, mm. that's, that's one asset that, that most people are, are aware of. So are you saying that because we see interest rates going up, I think that it wasn't announced that long ago that it's going to increase, what, three more times by the end of the year? They probably. say, yeah, probably. Okay, so does that mean CDs, the interest rate on CDs will increase three sure. times yep. by the end of the year? Yep, absolutely. Okay. But if you locked into a three or four year CD, five year CD, whatever your CD time frame is, you can in that CD until it matures. But you're right, the new CD rates should be higher. But again, they're not designed to beat inflation. Uh, mm -hmm. That's where the concern is. I, mean, you, I saw a study years ago. If you put a dollar in a CD in 1920 and left it there, and I think it was at the end of 1990, I think the time frame was. I, I don't remember exactly, but it was, that, it was that period. It was a long period of time. And what was your dollar worth that you put in that CD? It was negative 3%. Because inflation and taxation are a factor. Mm. So, so it's really not an asset that grows or produces an income. It's just a place to park your money for that safety principle. I need it for something. I can't lose my money. But you, you go backwards on it based on inflation, if that makes sense to anybody. Yeah, I think the one thing that I, I wanted to bring up in preparing for today's podcast is really more the concept of you know how an allocation works investment allocation works within the context of a a larger plan for the family and for those listeners that have been with us for a while you, you know our philosophy is really the planning comes first we feel and then a lot of these other decisions are really a part of that plan and so we have conversations all the time with families around you know, what should my investment allocation be, as an example? And really, from our standpoint, that depends on what you're going to use that asset for. Is that going to be something that you're going to need in 12 months' time? Is that something that is going to be a legacy asset that, you know, your grandkids might use 30, 40 years from now? And what's the purpose of it? Because I think the answer to that question really changes depending on the purpose of the assets. And, and we've had a lot of conversations with, you know, even money managers that, that we work with around how they build portfolios. And we have to sometimes, you know, remind them that say, hey, this, this portfolio is really going to be a longer term portfolio. So even though your normal uh, client who maybe let's say they're 65 years old, they might have a different allocation that on their retirement portfolio because they're going to need to use that from an income standpoint in the next three or four years. This is a different asset, right? So I think b before you get into the conversation around how you should be reallocating your portfolios, really take that first step. Think about what you're going to use it for. And I think that's going to at least provide a guide or a foundation for how you want to allocate that portfolio. Mm -hmm. That's a good point, Michael. So as, you, so as you go on the spectrum of asset classes, let's talk about bonds. Most people are confused about bonds, but I'll try to keep it simple. Bonds produce income. That's the dominant benefit of that strategy. You buy a bond, it has a yield to it or has a, a distribution of, of an amount on based on a percentage rate 
back to you. And basically you're lending your money to someone, either to the government, to a corporation, or to another uh, debt instrument, you lend your money. And because you lend that money to that particular party, they're gonna say, okay, I'm gonna give you this interest rate. Now, if you look at the current environment for bonds, when interest rates go up, bond values drop in value. And it's, it's, it's kind of interesting, but most people get confused about bonds. Bonds had a 20-year cycle that a bond valuations were, were pretty strong because interest rates dropped. Now that interest rates going back up again, Eric, you get stuck with this, do I buy a bond? And with the yields being lower, I'm going to buy a bond that's going to depreciate in value. So it's, it's kind of a, you're stuck with that. That's that issue with timing, but it's still the dominant benefit. It produces an income. So if you're retired or you want an income stream for some part, bond strategy is one of the ones that you can invest your money into. And, and, the, and the yields are all over the place as it relates to whether it's a municipal bond, a government bond, or a corporate bond. So that, that's, that's how the bond world works. I'm trying to stay out of the weeds, but that's basically most people need to understand about a bond. Mm-hmm. And then into equities. Now, equities are always that, that challenge of risk and reward, but, but stocks grow. So I always say there's three asset classes in the world today that you you could only invest to invest into and grow your wealth, and that's stocks and other companies. You own your own business or you own real estate. We'll talk about real estate in a minute. Every other asset class, you don't grow your assets because you're lending your money to someone and they're giving you something back. There was a study that was done by a mutual fund called the AIM Fund. It was back in the 70s and 80s. And it was interesting. They put $100,000 in a bond, a 30-year bond, and it was paying 7%. So they said, okay, we're going to hold on to this bond for 30 years. I'm going to pay you 7%. And if you look at the inflation uh, rate to that bond over 30 years, when you liquidated that bond or cash in, what was the purchase power of that bond, Eric? What would your guess be? I have no idea. <laughs> Probably well, not. If you go much. with the average inflation rate of 3.1%, which is what it's been over the last... 70 plus years, the your purchasing price on that dollar that you put in that bond dropped by 90%. Gee, my Christmas. People forget about inflation. Because remember, you gave a dollar to someone mm-hmm. and they held it for 30 years. And if you go with 3% inflation, do the math. It drops in value. But you got your 7%. So although it's, a, it's an instru- instrument that does something, it also is at risk of inflation affecting the value when you cash that bond in. Mm -hmm. So to finish the story, they did the same analogy to this AIM fund, which is a balance fund. It had 40% uh, bonds and 60% stocks in the portfolio. And they did the same thing. Put $100,000 in it, and it produces 7% income. They took 7% out of the year. Over that 30 years, guess what the value of that account was? What would your guess be? So you're saying they took the money out every year? 7%, 7%, but the rest of it stayed in investing. Oh, okay. Again, no idea. <laughs> $2.4 million Oh, over that 30 years. With pulling money out. With pulling money out, because Jeez. what happens is the stock portfolio side of that grew over that 30 years. Mm-hmm. The bond piece stayed flat, but produced that, that yield in part. So, so when, you look at, when you look at growing assets, you, have to, you have, to have, have to own assets in your portfolio that grow and create wealth, 
it's so it's not a lending scenario is my point mm-hmm. it's not a cd it's not a bond but they ha- they are a factor in portfolios for that portfolio construction that michael was talking about if you have a short-term goal of buying something you can't buy stocks because the volatility is too high. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you might want to do a short-term bond, or you might want to put it in a CD for a short period of time because you want, you want to make sure you don't lose your money. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, absolutely. My my question is, and, and maybe this is something you'll address, with this type of strategy, you guys have talked about timing the market before. When it comes to asset classes and doing this, is this or is this not somewhat like timing the market to know which one to put in to where when? I, I th- well, I, I would disagree a little bit. I think mm-hmm. again, gets back to from our standpoint is is again, what's the purpose of the of the portfolio that you're talking about with with allocating? So I think if you're going to time anything, I, I would almost say it's almost like you're timing the purpose of the of the portfolio. If that makes a little bit of sense, mm-hmm. you know. And we have a lot of conversations with managers that are more on the active management side where they're really digging in on a day-to-day basis stock and managing portfolios sure. yeah typically in a, in a in a stock position or a stock portfolio versus the passive management side which is i'm going to buy an s p 500 etf and i'm going to hold it for 30 years and i'm not going to look at it right i'll fund mm-hmm. it every every so often i mean there's different styles of how you invest portfolios and and i think it depends on the investors a lot of times as well and what what they want how do they you know some investors are very passive they don't want to think about it other investors want to really try to beat the market by having that active focus so i don't know if that answered your question as much eric but i, I think I, I don't i don't think we're not really fans of trying to time the market i think we've probably said that a lot of times oh, yeah. on the podcast i think it just it's it's a difficult proposition there are some people out there that can do it pretty well but i think by and large a lot of people don't do it well, even professionals. So it's it's difficult to do that. I think it's just trying to stay on top of it and maybe making small reallocations, but not majored like that. Yeah, Eric, I, I've been been in this business 37 years now, and I remember 1987 crash. They call it a crash. It was a blip, actually. Mm-hmm. But back then, it was a crash. Now, if I asked the, the average individual what the Dow was in 1987, do, do you remember what it was, Eric? By any chance? I'm not. I'm no, but I, I think I think it was spot. in the thousands. I mean, low, right? It was, it was yeah, over it was, a thousand. It was like eighteen, yeah. eighteen hundred and twenty. Yeah. In of the Dow, and where's the Dow today? Oh, way higher in the thirties, thirty thousand plus. Yeah. I mean, it's still, I don't know what it is today, but so if you if you look at time frames, you, you, people don't buy. <laughs> I, I always make this analogy. When there's a sale someplace, people drive miles to get a sale on something, but they never buy stocks on sale. Mm-hmm. It's kind of an interesting, because they're, they're nervous about that, but people should be aware that when stock portfolios or the market drops, it's an opportunity to buy in to the future gr- uh, expansion of the market, which is ultimately going to go up. It does go up. It doesn't stay flat. It doesn't go down all the time. It does go it ebbs and flows, but it, it continually goes up. So if you have a long-term uh, horizon, like Michael was pointing at, let's say retirement and you're in your 30s, you shouldn't be worried about the market. Mm-hmm. You should hope for these dips and invest more into these dips because you get more growth in your portfolio. So if you talk about timing, that's what you time. You time the yeah. economy, not the timing of the stock market. You, do, you kind of wait for those dips because something's driving the stocks down and you buy into those dips. And if you talk to any investor, you buy, you buy low and you sell high. That's the logic. That sounds common sense, but most people do the opposite. 
Well, I mean, the thing is, is that, Michael, I, I heard what you said, and I, I absolutely understand it's more about your timing. And then coupling that with, John, what you just said as far as it's, you know, stock market, not timing that, but timing what you want to invest in when. And you both know I live in Omaha, and there's some, there's a guy here, Warren Buffett. I, I'm, I'm sure you've maybe heard of him. Small guy. Yeah. Small guy. Yes. Well, he's, he's, he's a big player in Omaha only. No, worldwide. But that's his whole thing, right? It's, it's, I, he has, and I don't know how he does it because I don't have a personal relationship with him, but I know that he has funds set aside for when the market dips. And he says, exactly. then I put it in and I, and I buy when stuff's on sale. I don't buy when it's really high, even though everybody's excited about growth. That's the worst time to buy. So I get it. I, I, I understand it. And that's the beauty of you being, you know, having done this for decades and decades, right? I mean, you know, yeah, I mean, people get emotional about the market. It's not emotional. Yes. <laughs> it's yeah. not. It, and that's where they get trapped into this. What do I do? Mm-hmm. Question. Mm-hmm. The answer is stay with your objective. If it's a long-term objective, nothing's really changed except the market or opportunity to get into the market at a lower price. So it's really a positive. Now, I, I guarantee after today, the market's in, in, in a little bit of a uh, downside today. I, people are bailing out of the market. Worst time, to, if you have a long-term objective, most certainly worst time to do that. But if it's a short-term objective, you shouldn't be in the market anyway. So most people are in the market because they have a long-term horizon. But why are you panicking? So I always challenge my, my clients, don't panic. And I always relate to my brother, uh, who was a doctor in Phoenix, back in 08 when the market went down. He said to me, sell out of every position if it drops to 7,500, the Dow. And I said, no, <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Matter of fact, you have extra money, buy into the market. Well, he thought I was crazy. And I said, trust me, and I'm not going to sell out of the market. And he pushed me for a couple of weeks. And he was really concerned that I was giving him wrong advice. And I said, brother, this is a retirement plan. The market's going to go up and down several more times before you retire. So don't panic. If you have extra money in the sidelines, which he did, I want you to buy some stock positions. And I recommended him a couple of stocks at that time. And they all, and they all went skyrocketing after the 08 crash because the market after March 2009 skyrocketed and it had to stop since until just recently. So he caught the bull market and, he's, and I'll say to you today, thank God I listened to my brother. <laughs> yeah. and, and But I'm his brother. So if, if yeah. there's a client out there that doesn't have a close relationship with his their advisors, sometimes that emotional issue puts pressure on your advisor. Like you need to get me out of the market. They have to be a fiduciary. They have to listen to you. So it's this challenge to them to push back and say, you know, you really need to look at the market differently. It's very, very hard. So he was fortunate. I was his brother beating him over the head for a week. And, and, and it was to his advantage. And he'll, he'll, he'll say it today. Thank God I listened to you. So I don't like to have conversations like that with people like I should have done this or should have done that. But it happens all the time. Well, the thing is, is that you took the time and brother or no brother. Right. If, if somebody's working with an advisor that doesn't take the time to explain exactly why they should be doing something. And if they just say, no, you need to be buying right now. Well, I don't feel comfortable doing that. And then they just kind of give up the conversation without the full explanation or what you guys are doing on the podcast every day, right? Every time you publish something, you're educating your audience, spending that time. I mean, that, that's the most important part. And that's, that's where failed sure. relationships fail the ultimate consumer. Yeah. Especially, and by the way, today it, it, there was such a there was a twelve year bull market. If people are bailing out of the market today, they probably have huge gains in their portfolio still. 
guess what's gets what's on the horizon oh boy income taxes yep. and they make that decision so not only you belly out of a market that's going to come back eventually you're going to pay tax and then now you're working from the basement so you have to be strategic in your in your focus on what these asset classes are supposed to be doing in your portfolio so again we went through cds which is your safety principle bonds produce income stocks grow let's talk about real estate Real estate is a is an interesting asset. It has a lot of functionality to it. There's so many different types of real estate out there, but real estate basically is an inflation hedge in most part, and it's not correlated to the stock market in most parts. So it's really not going to be something that you have to worry about other than 10, maybe 10-year 10 cycles because real estate always goes up and down. It seems like every 10 years they go through cycles. But most people buy real estate to do what? That's going to be their nest egg, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They live, they live, they buy a house because they want to create an asset. But here's the, here's the issue. You live in your house, not on your house. True. Yeah, absolutely. So you might have an asset that's worth two, $300,000 down the road. But if you sold that property, where would you go? Mm -hmm. You have to buy something else or rent someplace. Yeah. So, so you have to be careful when you look at that type of real estate, my home, it's really, you live in your home. You don't live on your home. So that, that sides to another real estate side of it, where you have commercial properties or you have other um, residential properties you can buy as an investment for that, for that long-term position of that's an asset class that's going to continue to be part of a portfolio. Uh, it's going to be inflation uh, protected in most cases and real estate's uh, needed across the land. I mean, housing right now is exploding. I mean, you read every, any, anything today, there are not enough houses to support all the people who want to buy them. Mm -hmm. So that's why v v house prices are, are skyrocketing. And you just bought another house, right, Eric? You, no, you no I didn't buy one. I sold one. I had two, yeah. and I, I sold one of them, and it was, it, was a, it was a pool of piranhas. It really was. It was a feeding frenzy. Uh, yeah. It was insane, which is a good thing for me, but I don't have to buy in this market. That's that's the issue. I had a, a house that we had as a rental for a long time, and you you guys and I have discussed it. Um, we decided to move in there because it, it helps us in our overall financial situation, but the house I sold in a great neighborhood, in a, the best school district, it was, it was crazy how quickly offers came in, sight unseen. It was insane. Sure. It's happened yeah. all over the country. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I mean, from a, an allocation standpoint of a, of a portfolio, and again, going back to what what the, is the purpose of the portfolio, real estate is really interesting to me because, you know, it can serve as that growth piece, that inflation hedge, as well as you mentioned that. But obviously, you know, if you're going to have a commercial property, you can get rental income off of off of that. That many of our clients, you know, we've had quite a few conversations with them over the years about. Let's say taking, uh, we have one client and family on our platform that he sold his business and, and we were deciding from a planning standpoint whether he should take some of the proceeds from that sale and reinvest it back into the stock market or what he decided to do was to pay down some of the debt that was tied to his commercial uh, property. So he would keep more cash flow from his rental properties because that's what he, he made that decision that that real estate property was going to be a good income source for him during retirement versus what he can do in the stock market. Now, you know, whether that was a, a good decision in hindsight, I guess there's maybe some pros and cons to that. However, that was this, the decision he made. But real estate really is, a, I think, a core part in some 
some ratio of an allocation for most portfolios. And if you don't want to go out and manage your own real estate or buy your own properties, you can look at things like REITs that are out there. You can look at, there's a lot of programs that are available that have more of a real estate focus that you can invest into that is not something you need to manage on a day-to-day basis, but you still have that exposure. So I think real estate is a, a pretty key component to any allocation of, a, of an overall portfolio. I would say even if you have a growth-minded investor, you have a long-time horizon, or even if you have a short one, short-time horizon, real estate plays a key role. But real estate's always location, 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 yeah. so you have to be careful where you buy real estate. I think people are aware of that. But real estate's it's interesting because it has an income side to it as well, to Michael's point. Mm-hmm. So not only does have a growth side, and it's an inflation protection, it also has an income side. So real estate's a, a, an interesting asset class that most people don't have in their portfolios, believe it or not. But again, REITs are available. There's real estate ETFs. There's all types of different exposures to real estate that I think one should look at. But again, when you look at the dominant benefit of these asset classes, they all do different things. And sometimes when you build a, a basket of them, it, 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 it softens the portfolio, protects it from extreme ups and downs. Well, it's not, I like extreme ups, but, <laughs> but do you have extreme downs in those particular portfolios? But so, so basically, it's a good way to asset allocate. But to Michael's point, and it's a good one, it's all about your plan. It's all about what's the purpose of the money. So most people say to me, John, I have, I have $100,000. What should I do with it? I say, oh, what's your objective? Yeah. Is it for retirement? Is it for a short-term objective? You want to buy a property? You want to buy a house? You want to buy a business? Well, what, what do you need the money for? That dictates how you design and build these portfolios. And, and most of the time, you have to be patient with them because they ebb and flow with the markets. So right now, bonds are not attractive to buy, but real estate is. CDs are, are maybe going up. Are they attractive? I'm not sure. I, I, don't, I don't think they're attractive uh, asset class to have in any portfolio in a large amount, but most certainly it softens that portfolio from a safety standpoint. So you have to really look at your objectives and, and try to build something and stay with it and be patient with it and don't bail out because the markets are not going to be in your favor. Yeah, I think and to add to the real estate conversation here. And, and we've had some podcasts recently with um, a gentleman from S2K, Steve Cantor and, and Michael Brown, which we did, I think did, did a two-parter with them. That was a really enlightening podcast. One, one of my favorites that I think we've done recently. So if you haven't listened to that one, I would definitely go back because those two are, are pretty experts in, in the sort of what's going on in the real estate world today. But I, I think you know, that real estate component is becoming a lot more of the conversations we have with families. Getting back to the fixed income and the bond piece that you talked about earlier, Dad, it's really challenging right now to find yield that is meaningful for a lot of investors. I mean, we've had uh, some conversations with, with clients that maybe have, let's say they sold their business or they've, they have kept money in their business because they've, they've had a good year over the last few years. And they say, well, you know, I, I have this money. What do I do with it? To your point, Dad, and then we have to go through that conversation. Well, what, do, what, do, what are we going to use this for? What's the purpose of the money? And a lot of times, is, well, I might need it in 12 to 18 months to, you know, make an acquisition, or I might need it. It's more in my cash bucket. And that really is a challenge right now in terms of how you work with clients and what they can do with that with that money because they still need it liquid, but it's a challenge to get a meaningful yield in 
the bond world today due to low interest rates. And so we've had some conversations with some money managers that we work with and they've really said, listen, I can't, you know, from their standpoint, they have to charge a fee oftentimes to manage that portfolio. And, and sometimes when you look at the yield on the portfolio, it's it then and yeah the money that they charge it's it's a wash or it's you're going backwards so it's a challenge right now that's which is why real estate again if you can weather some of the real estate i don't want to call it a bubble because i i don't think that that term is used for what where we are today in real estate or that's a very accurate term but i do think that some people are a little hesitant with real estate in some ways but i still think it's an attractive option depending on where you buy, like you said, that location, location, and, and, and the purpose of it. I'm going to take a little slide here on, on what's going on that's a little different than most people are accustomed to seeing. Let's go back to, I mentioned, in, uh, I mentioned back in the 70s. In 1971, Nixon did something, as everyone thinks is aware of. He took us off the gold standard. And since mm-hmm. that point in time, when you look at inflation, it's gone up since then. It, it was a very inflationary strategy to do that because there was no there was no support of the dollar. Um, the dollar is a dead instrument, believe it or not. But what hasn't adjusted is people's incomes. If you look at a chart, inflation has gone up precipitously, but people's wages and salaries have pretty much stayed flat over that period of time. And that's been in the press for a while. And the challenge we have today is go back to that time frame in the 80s when interest rates were, were way up and inflation was way up. The Fed could balance that. So in other words, remember the numbers. I think inflation was like 17% and CD rates were 15% or 16%. I can't remember the exact numbers. It doesn't matter. They were very close from a percentage standpoint. That's the way they control that. But you can't do that today. So the Fed's in a very new position they've never been in before. Because remember, they would need to raise interest rates to hedge the inflation issue, but they raise them too much, what causes a problem? It causes a recession. So they're trying to balance the right approach to increasing interest rates to the inflation rate. But where's the inflation rate today? 8.5%, 9%? And that's and that's not the real rate. The real rate's closer to 14 or 15 if you throw food and energy in there. So if you're, if you're flat on your wages... And you can't raise interest rates to match the inflation rate, we have a problem. Now you're starting to see a shift to gold and silver, and Bitcoin's become a very popular conversation. So there's new asset classes, not new gold and silver, but asset classes that people really never talked about before because it wasn't something they should have because it was just gold and silver. But gold and silver now, and we had a podcast with Andy Sheckman a while back. You should listen to that one as well on gold and silver and what's happening behind the scenes. So gold and silver now should be looked at as being that inflation hedge, that protecting of my assets in my portfolio, because we're not sure what the Fed's going to do. And quite frankly, Eric, I'm not sure what the Fed's going to do. They're stuck. Mm-hmm. They're between a rock and a hard place. It's been in the press for the last few weeks, and, and no one knows where they're going. Now, they're raising interest rates, but they're raising them very slowly, but that's not hindering inflation. So we, we, we have a challenge. So when you look at your portfolio today, your stocks, bonds, and cash, and real estate, those are your basic asset classes that people enjoyed investing in for many, many years. But now 
You have to rethink what you're doing because we're not sure where the Fed's going to go, but gold and silver now seem to be more attractive than ever before to hedge that. And Bitcoin's in the conversation because that's going to be something that's also going to hedge inflation. And people should probably read a little bit of what the, where that digital currency is going. Now, I'm not preaching Bitcoin, but it's an interesting conversation to have and understand why Bitcoin is being talked about. It's because of what's happening with the dollar and what's happening with the Fed. So it's interesting. I don't want, I don't want to get into the weeds, but when you, so when you look at your portfolio, one might consider looking at gold and silver and metals as a part of your portfolio to balance all the stresses now in the marketplace. Yeah, commodities in, in general are becoming, again, with what you mentioned, Dad, the podcast we did with Andy Sheckman, we're getting, we're getting a lot of feedback and seeing a lot of clients really explore the commodities world, whether that be gold and silver, oil and gas is another you know commodity that that's up thirty five percent this year. Yes, energy's done really well over the last six months or so. So that's you're, you're that's another asset class and commodities is is a whole. I mean, we can have a whole multiple podcasts on that. You can buy wheat and livestock. I mean, all of those. I mean, that's really beyond. I think the scope of today's podcast. But I mean, podcast. Excuse me. Uh, commodities in general is an asset class that is getting a lot more. It should always be a consideration in your portfolio, but again, how much do you wanna look at? What's the goal long-term? How does that compare to some of the other asset classes? Uh, it's it, But it's definitely something you should look at, and we're seeing a lot of clients look at that a little bit more these days. Dad, why don't you talk a little bit about, and this is a broad asset class, but I use the term generally alternatives. And, and I think that can, alternative concept can comprise a lot of different types of, of asset classes or sub asset classes within that, within that term. But I, I feel like we're seeing a lot more of that as a conversation. I think a lot of our clients are looking at seeing what's out there in the public markets, whether that be the stock market being at relatively still all time highs bonds. We just talked about being in a difficult spot real estate being in some cases in a difficult spot and they're looking at other options in the alternative world that are maybe the private markets that they're looking at and i feel like that there's been a, a really a massive expansion just in the industry and the world in general in that world maybe we could talk a little bit about that yeah and and, and caution here when everyone's chasing something be careful yeah <laughs> so it's 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 probably overemphasized however to michael's point there's other asset classes out there that are part of the equity world or part of the real estate world that are on the private side versus the retail side so if you if you if you can, can qualify for these type of investments the you most certainly should consider looking at putting those into your portfolio as well and if you look at any of the major universities out there i remember looking at harvard's portfolio years ago and they had up to 30 percent of their portfolios in alternatives as part of a strategy it was private equity private debt timber private company they had all types of these assets in this bucket again they can do things like that but 30 percent of their portfolio was in that so if you if you google these major universities you'll find that a lot of them have 
a lot of their money in these type of asset classes because they do qualify for them. So it's just a conversation you have with your with your advisor. I would reach out to your advisor and say, is there an opportunity for me to, to qualify for these particular strategies? I like to consider them because I think that's where the market's going. But I wouldn't go, you know, put all your money in those strategies. I mean, my, my, rec- my recommendation typically is 10 to 15% of your portfolio. You might want to consider moving to that particular bucket to take advantage of it, basically. Yeah, and, and the comment you made about not chasing a lot of that, I think that's a good one there. Are, again, it's like with anything else. The challenge right now, I think, in that world is that there are a lot of sponsors. It is becoming a hot item in terms of conversations that we're having. And you do have to be careful with looking at who the sponsor is, what their history is, what their investment strategy is. So there's a due diligence process that, you know, if you're out there doing that yourself, you, you need to be making sure that you're doing that. Or if you're working with an advisor that is, is kind of helping you with that, that they're doing that due diligence, because, you know, a lot of these uh, deals, if you want to call them that are very complicated and, and they, have different pitfalls that you just need to be aware of. It's not good or bad. It is just something you need to be aware of. And again, couching that decision in your larger investment plan is what's most important. And as always, Eric, my always my message is these are all great conversations we had, mm-hmm. but the most important part of this, you have to be taxed, managed in these strategies because taxes will erode rates of return and growth in your portfolio more than you think. And people don't pay that much attention to taxes on their portfolios. And we talked about that in the past. If you have an account that's not in an IRA format or a 401k plan or a pension, it's, it's, a, it's called a non-qualified investment. You're managing with your broker down, down the street. You have to be careful because all the gains over the last 12 years, you've been paying tax along the way, more than likely, on those gains, and you lost assets by doing that. So you have to look at tax managing these strategies more efficiently to put more money on your balance sheet over a longer period of time, if that makes sense to you. Yeah, absolutely. Guys, we're getting low on time here. Is there anything we want to close with? I would just say be alert. Start paying attention to what's going on in the markets uh, regarding your portfolios. I wouldn't panic and sell anything at this point in time. Again, if your objective is a long-term objective, these markets are going to settle down and go back to a higher level somewhere along the line. Just be patient. Uh, stay away the emotional side of it. Stop, stop watching TV and hmm. watching the market and those arrows go down. Just remember, it's an opportunity if you have money on the sidelines to dollar cost average into the into the market. You put a little in each week or each month to get into the market to take advantage of that bottom. Yeah, yeah I would add to that. I think that's all really good advice. I would say that if you gleaned anything from today's podcast is that there's there's a lot and, and it's changing rapidly there's a lot of information out there and that's obviously the challenge we all have is to try to sift through all of the information that we're bombarded with seemingly on a daily basis but you know stay in touch with your advisors i think we talk about that almost every podcast of being su- such an important thing that investors and, and planners um, and the public needs to do is just work with work with each other talk with each other more because this stuff changes rapidly and there's a lot out there there could be things that you're missing could be things that you think you're missing that you're really not missing so it's it's important to stay connected be with your advisor yep yeah absolutely well gentlemen thank you so much for your time today a lot to consider and uh, i appreciate it yeah, no problem thank, thank you. you eric always you a pleasure. bet and our last thank you goes to you listening audience thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the truth about wealth podcast with john and michael parise 
If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when John and Michael come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This really makes it easy to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Copper Beach Financial Group, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Truth About Wealth podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Copper Beach Financial Group. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. This material is for informational purposes only. Neither APFS nor its representatives provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Please consult your own tax, legal, or accounting professional before making any decisions. Copper Beach is not affiliated with American Portfolios Financial Services, Inc. and American Portfolios Advisors, Inc. Securities offered through American Portfolio Financial Services, Inc., a member of FINRA SIPC, Investment Advisory and Financial Planning Services offered through American Portfolio Advisors, Inc., an SCC Registered Investment Advisor. These opinions are subject to change at any time without notice. Any comments or postings are provided for informational purposes only and do not constitute an offer or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or other financial instruments. Readers should conduct their own review and exercise judgment prior to investing. Investments are not guaranteed, involve risk, and may result in a loss of principal. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Investments are not suitable for all types of investors. Copper Beach is an unaffiliated entity of American Portfolios Financial Services, Inc. and American Portfolios Advisors, Inc. Any opinion expressed in this forum is not the opinions of American Portfolio Financial Services, Inc. and American Portfolio Advisors, Inc. and have not been reviewed by the firm for completeness or accuracy. There is no assurance your experience will be similar and no assurance of financial success.